Father, we just come before you now in Jesus' name, and I ask you, Father, that you would have the rest of the service totally in your hand as you've had the service so far. We continue to bless you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today I want to talk to you about what I feel my purpose is here at Charlevoix Assembly of God Church. And I've been at Charlevoix since June of 2005, but I began pastoring in May or June somewhere of 2009 as interim and then became full-time November or December of 2010. I didn't go back and look at the, the notes, minutes. But in this time, I feel very comfortable with the consistent message that the Lord has placed in my heart over these years. And it's been a call for us to concentrate our efforts on our relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. I have focused my efforts and studies on getting to know what the Lord requires of us to be pleasing to Him and to live our lives without compromise to the very best of our ability. His love through this time is all-encompassing. And our responsibility is to reflect that love back to God through an obedient life of expressing our love to Him through our lives of total surrender and obedience to His commands. That what I do for Christ is not my way of earning God's love, but rather it's because I realize how much He loves me. And for that, I want to do everything I can to love Him back. And the way I see that, that's how I prove my living a life of obedience is my love for Christ. I remember the example that we just gave a couple of weeks ago of the, of the alabaster jar. Do you remember that? Mary's sacrificial offering of the expensive perfume and the way she anointed Jesus' body. Why did she do that? Do you remember that? Do you remember that discussion, that sermon? Mary's experience in doing that, her sacrifice, her offering of that perfume to Jesus was an expression of God's love to Mary that she reflected back to Jesus. She had such a love in her heart from God that that was her expression back to the Lord. And this is a perfect example for us that it shows us that God's love must be reflected back to Him in some form of, of obedient sacrifice, of worship, so the cycle is completed. Thus giving God more reason to show His love further into, onto us so that we can continue to bless others around us with God's reflected love. It has to be received and reflected. We, we receive God's love and we reflect it back to Him with our praise and our worship and then through obedience to his commands, we reflect it to others. And as we reflect God's love, we become a lamp. We become a light unto the world. But it's got to be God's love that is reflected, not mine, because I don't have love that God can give. My love wouldn't work. It has to be God's love. God then reflects off of me like the moon reflects off the sun. My purpose here has been based on love for people, for this family, for this church, and for my, for my friends. But I want, to ask a, I want to answer a question that I have been given, and, and I want to tell you what my agenda is. We all have agendas, so it's a fair question 
to be asked, what is my agenda? Well, here is my agenda. To maintain a consistent call to a life of holiness and authentic living. To be a full gospel Pentecostal fellowship of believers and to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and in our services. That's my agenda. Larry, would you throw up that first PowerPoint? That's my agenda. That's a pretty straight line. But to explain that a little bit, if you look at the left-hand corner over here, that would be the foundational premise of what happened at Azuzu Street in early 1900s. That is when the day of Pentecost came again. And that's where our denominational structure began. And a little bit further down that line is where this Assembly of God Church began in 1947. And we have some charter members with us yet. And my agenda now is to keep that line going straight all the way that way. That's my agenda. To keep us on the focus of our foundational heritage and our foundational roots. My message has been the same since I began and my position was well established. I haven't made a change in the call that God has given me since I began here. And to this end, the call that I'm making to this body is to return, live out, and grow in the foundational beliefs of our fellowship. Our denomination, we're a fellowship of churches. The Assemblies of God is a fellowship of churches. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That's my agenda. That's the line. And identify, this diagram identifies a clear principle that a straight line, a straight line doesn't cause division, nor does a straight line develop confusion. A straight line is a straight line. So I want to take a few minutes this morning to review my ministry here over the past three years. And what I do want you to know in this is that my heart and the burden that God has placed on my heart for this church and my family and friends hasn't changed since the day I began. Three years ago, I wrote a letter to my family, and I called a family meeting together to present what I felt the Lord had laid in my heart then for my family that I would also extend to this church as well. And being such a large family that we are, we in a small church, the call to be a holy set-apart family would have a large impact on our church. So I feel that the call is consistent and can be extended to this church. In fact, I have. I've been teaching that same call the past three years. So I just want everyone to understand my position as pastor and leader of this church hasn't changed. And I want to read a few excerpts of my letter that was written back in August 2009. And I want you to see the passion and the consistency if my teaching, preaching, and living hasn't changed. If anything, it has only increased as the days we are living in, in, in are only getting darker as we're three years closer to the rapture of the church. We're three years closer than what we were when I started three years ago. So let me read a few excerpts from, from this letter. This is what I wrote back in 2009. I really felt the Lord laid this on my heart. I'm writing this letter as it flows from my heart. I'm trying not to add my own thoughts or agenda, but honestly trying to hear what God is directing me to say as the Holy Spirit prompts me. With that established, there are some things that I believe the Holy Spirit has placed in my heart that I must share. As I try to do this, I do this in love and compassion, not a sense of judgment. Please hear my heart. This is what I feel I need to say to all of us, including myself. We must. 
pick up the mantle of spiritual and generational blessing and place it on our own shoulders if we want to pass it on to our lineage. Those, these blessings won't pass through us automatically unless we actively and purposely pursue them and live for them. All of us need to take inventory of our lives and let the Holy Spirit show us where we need to make some changes and corrections personally so that we don't miss this. I'm not calling anyone out, but please hear the seriousness of this call. If you are living a lifestyle that is not right, you must stop it and get your life right with God and live the way you know you should live. To the male gender as a father, the priest of your home, you have the privilege, the right, and the responsibility to put on this spiritual mantle, to live for it and claim it for your family. It won't come by itself. You have to purposely wear the mantle and do whatever it takes to keep it alive in your life so that it has a life in your family. Remember, Satan, your enemy, doesn't want you to do this. He wants you to reject this message as quickly as you hear it. His purpose is to destroy you, your family, and the generational blessing you represent. The fact is, he doesn't have to do this in a big way. He just has to take away your purpose, your hunger, your passion, and your commitment to be a man that is willing to be set apart for spiritual holiness and your family's blessing. If Satan can stop it here, he will take your blessing from you, your children, and your children's children, and so on, until someone else picks it up and purposely wears and lives it again. Now, I spoke a couple of weeks ago about leadership. And I define leadership as being anyone that calls themselves a Christian. We are called to be a holy priesthood, a generation set apart, a peculiar people. So, for, so from the lowest level of calling oneself a Christian, it not only qualifies you, but defines you as a leader. Now, how so, you may ask. Thanks for asking. We are called to lead others to Christ. How can you lead someone to Christ if you aren't a leader? We are called to live in the world and to call others to Christ. So therefore, you must be a leader if you're going to lead someone to Christ. Put it, let's take it a step further. Once you get married and have children, you are now called to be a priest of your family. That's what the Bible calls it, a priest. You're, the, you're a priest of your family, fathers and mothers. Once again, God's word calls a Christian father a priest. As you are called to lead your family, fathers and mothers, God holds you accountable in the ways you allow worldly influence to enter your home. And God also will hold us all accountable in how you lead or we lead or I lead my life in front of the world I walk in or you walk in. And here's the question. Because we are leaders, here's the question that God will ask you. Did you lead people to Christ? Or away from Christ? Did you lead people to Christ? Or away from Christ? That's a good answer, good question. Let me continue some more in my letter. Does this mean that we are all bad people? No, not at all. But it does mean that we need to listen to the call of holiness once again. We need to honor God and separate our lives from the ever-encroaching world that is slowly and effectively creeping in and sucking the spiritual life out of us and our families. We are slowly conforming to the world rather than winning the world around us. Does this mean we have to be weird people? No. It means that we have to be consistent people. What we say we believe on Sunday, we need to live on Monday. There is no other way to say it. We need to get serious with God and seek Him and ask the Holy Spirit to fill our lives with a Christ-like life on a daily basis. 
We can't live on yesterday's experiences. We need a fresh and renewed relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit every day. We cannot live a secret life, one that conforms to the world and what our friends want of us. Rather, we need to call ourselves out to be holy and different so that our witness is effective. Listen to this closely. The witness is not only to your friends, but also, more importantly, it's to your children. They see it. If they see that, that you're not living a holy life at home or on the job or while socializing with your friends, they won't either. Thus, you will lose the generational and spiritual blessing in your family. And more importantly, you're risking your children's salvation. Is it worth it? I also spoke a few weeks ago about how Jesus could walk in the world and not be influenced by the world, but rather be the influencer to the world in which he walked. And I recognize, as obviously Jesus did, and all of us do, that if we're going to be able to accomplish the Great Commission to go into all the world and make disciples, that we must first befriend the world and earn its trust and respect. We have to be in the world if we're going to affect the world. And I propose this morning that everything Jesus did as he walked with the publicans and the tax collectors and the known sinners of his day, that he never did anything to compromise his integrity as a man of God, thereby earning their respect because of his uncompromising attitude. He never allowed the worldly influence of those people the ones that he came to seek and to save to influence him. Jesus was always the influencer. He never did one thing to compromise the message that he was there to bring. Not one time did anybody wonder what Jesus stood for. Not one time did anybody say, I'm not really sure what he means. Well, he, had, he said parables, but you know what I'm talking about. He never did anything in his life to detract from his purpose. And if Jesus lived this way, then shouldn't we as well? Do you think that Jesus' example to live, for us to live this way was for a purpose? Yeah, absolutely it was. Now, I understand that Jesus was a perfect man. He never slipped. He never made a mistake. And I will be the first one to admit that I do. I have failures. I slip. I make mistakes. And with that said, then, how much more important is it, then, that I do everything in my power to avoid all the deliberate acts of sin or even the perceived sinful acts that are in my control? We're given the word to avoid even the appearance of evil. So even if we can't avoid the mistakes and the slips and the humanness of being a man, we can certainly be very careful that we don't do the obvious things that would bring a, deliber a deliberate appearance of evil. Paul said that in Thessalonians, Thessalonians to the Thessalonians. You say that word. Let's just stay with Thessalonians. Chapter 5, verses 19 through 22. He said, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. And the King James says it this way, abstain from all appearance of evil. Don't play with it. Abstain from it. See, if Paul felt it appropriate to teach that then, it's also appropriate to teach that today. For the people that we are out to win for Christ, our lifestyle is an absolute must 
that we must avoid evil and even the appearance of it if we're going to gain their respect. How else will they ever be able to respect the witness that we're supposed to be? If I play the game, if I do what they do, and then want to witness to them, I have no respect from them. If we live a compromising lifestyle through our deliberate choices we make that show that the world is influencing us rather than us influencing it, then we weaken the power of the gospel to the very people that we are meant to reach with it. And I can't overstate the very true idea and concept that Jesus was the influencer, not the one being influenced. And so must we. Why do you think we can be effective, how that we could be an effective witness and a follower of Christ doing it a little differently than Jesus did it? <laughs> I don't think I'm smarter than Jesus. I don't think I can figure out a better way. If Jesus had to walk with integrity, then I need to walk with integrity. I can't play a game. I can't say, well, Jesus, you did it then because that was then, and I'm going to do it my way now because this is now. You know what that's called? A false teaching. That's called false teaching. We need to get line ourselves up with the Word, and we need to do as what Christ did. That's being Christ-like. That's what we're called to be like. And I know that some say, and I mean, our society says it all the time. Come on, get with the times. This is 2012. Things are different now. Things are different. Come on. But are they? Are they really different? I mean, what's different about living a holy life in the year of Jesus living and death and resurrection than it is today, 2,000 years later? What's different about that? Tell me one place in the Bible that says that. Show me one verse that says as time goes on, God's standards weaken. I will tell you just the opposite. The Bible says that in the end times there will come scoffers of God's word. Those that are bringing compromise after compromise in holy living. God's word is very clear that we aren't to be less diligent. We are to be more diligent to protect ourselves from the evilness of the last days. And I believe we are living in the last days. Corporately as a body and certainly my own personal life because I have no idea when my life is going to end. So I'm living every day like it's my last days. Second Peter chapter 3 says, First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Second Timothy chapter 3. Again, Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, it says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with them. He's not calling, this is not the world he's talking about. These are not the people that Jesus was walking with. He's not, talking at the public, he's not talking about publicans and tax collectors and sinners here. He's talking about people that are in the church. 
He's talking about people that are in the church. Otherwise, why would he say having a form of godliness but denying its power? Let's continue. Chapter, verse 6. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with the sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, obviously they're still in church, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres did oppose Moses, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected. That's pretty scary, folks. Did you hear that? Men who call themselves Christians but are of depraved minds. See, Janus and Jambres, they were Israelites. They were in the Moses' camp. They were there. But that didn't mean they were saved. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because in the, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3. The consistency of living an authentic, authentic life of following Jesus is an everyday lifestyle. It's not something we put on on Sundays and take off on Mondays. It's not something we put on around certain people and take off when we're on the job or with our friends. If you're a true follower of Jesus and his principles, you are all the time. We're told in Scripture that if we don't acknowledge Jesus in the world we live, then he won't acknowledge us in front of God. Matthew chapter 10, 32 through 33 says this. Matthew 10, 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will, uh, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do you see this as a serious thing? Do you see any reason in this statement alone that we must be careful to guard our actions and be true to what we say we believe when we're with Christian people and when we're with our worldly friends? What about being true in front of our children? Is that important to you? Do you really think your children are going to take you serious if they see you putting on and taking off a, your Christian beliefs like they were a coat? Something that you can pick up and choose what you're going to listen to and what you're not going to listen to. If you think that you're teaching them a godly way of living when you show them by your life that you can choose to listen to certain things the Bible teaches and what the preacher preaches as long as you agree with them and as soon as you don't, you can throw that part away. Understand what you're teaching your children. You're teaching them to do the same things with what you say. So don't be surprised when they do the same thing to you. You've taught them that as long as... as we agree with what is being told, it's good and it's okay. And as soon as they don't agree with what you're telling them, that they can do with what they want to with it. How can you expect them to listen to you if you're inconsistent in your life before them? Don't be surprised when the next generation is less godly and more rebellious. They're only doing what they've been taught to do. I know those are hard words. They hit me right between the eyes. Let me go back to the letter from 2009. What is this holy life? If you remember, when we were young, we had some pretty hard set rules. When people asked what we believed in, our pat answer was, we don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't go to movies, and we don't dance. Maybe we didn't like it then, but at least we had some direction in our lives, even if it was perceived as legalistic. Today, some of us drink. We all go to movies and we dance. 
even if we're not very good at it. I had to put that in because I'm not a very good dancer. We have lost a call in our lives to be different, to set ourselves apart from the world. Not that we're claiming or trying to make it appear that we're better than them, but so that, they, so that we recognize that God has the top spot in our lives, that he is our number one priority. We need to set ourselves apart as a holy and righteous people so that when we worship him, we can do so without guilt or compromise. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then verse 11 and 12 of Second Peter, or 1 Peter chapter, 9, or chapter 2 says this, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. If we, let me continue in my letter, if we in one generation have drifted this far from a call to holiness, then how much further will our kids drift in their generation when they don't even see a don't do list with a proper explanation of why we don't? Or more importantly, if they don't see a mom and dad that are spirit-filled and committed to living a holy life, what are the chances they will? Understand that I'm not saying a perfect life. None of us are. But what is your intent I am also not going down the legalistic route either. But let me ask the question, are you truly living a life sold out to God, giving it your best effort to be righteous? I know this is hitting us all pretty hard, including myself, but please hear me out. This is what the Holy Spirit is calling out in my life and compelling me to say to all of us. All right, let, let's talk a minute on how we have progressed from the true legalistic days that we have come from. Because I will admit that as an Assembly of God church, when I grew up, we were very legalistic. We were told some things that we don't do, and I don't blame my parents for this because I don't know that they were taught any different, but nobody really gave me a good explanation of why I don't do what I was told not to do. I didn't know why I couldn't go to movies. I didn't know why I couldn't dance. I didn't know why I couldn't play cards. I just said, you don't, you don't play cards. We don't, we don't go to movies. Well, let's understand how we, can, how we can progress in some things. And I'm thankful that we have been able to progress in many areas that really don't have a true spiritual impact. I'm very thankful that we've been able to see how to grow and change in some areas that don't compromise our walk with the Lord. For example, we at one time believed that movie theaters were evil. In fact, I remember when I was in fourth grade, Halloween dressed as a cowboy and Indian. I had an Indian hat on because I had feathers. We walked from the middle school down to the movie theater to watch Lassie. I don't know, some really good little kids movie. And I remember going into the theater scared to death that Jesus was going to come back. I sat in that theater with my little Indian hat on until the kid in the back told me to take it off because he couldn't see. <laughs> so I had to take my Indian feathers off. And I sat there, and I don't even remember what the movie was because I was so afraid that I was in an evil place that, that, that Jesus was going to come back. Wow, I'm so glad that we've been able to progress through some of those stupid things. All right, so we can go to movies today, but here's the catch. Be careful what movies you watch, all right? 
You can go to the movie theater, but make sure they're PG movies. Don't be going to X-rated movies. All right? We can play cards today. Just don't gamble with the cards. Just don't get sucked into gambling with the cards. We can dance today, but dance with your own wife and not somebody else's wife. And kids, when you go to dances, be careful of the dances that you dance. Don't grind. Let me show you what that is. Oh, okay. Now that would be an ugly sight, I'm telling you right now. Be careful how you dance. All right? You can, you can do that, but just be careful. All right? And I'll tell you why. Let me explain why dancing is wrong or bad or how it can be wrong. Because all of a sudden you're getting close to that person you're attracted to. And when you get close, I know what boys are like. And I know what happens. Don't get too close to boys, girls. Okay, we'll just move on. The only ones, the, but we still have some standards, though. The only ones that are still really an issue for this church are the issues of drinking, smoking, and illegal use of drugs. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this today other than to say that drinking is different from these other areas due to the very real dangers and the destructive, intoxicating. Intoxicating means this. It's mind-altering. It means that it, 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 it affects the mind and when my mind is affected, it can easily affect my behaviors that can easily lead to very real and dangerous consequences. When my mind isn't thinking clear, I lose some inhibitions. And then maybe that dancing situation becomes a little difficult. Okay? So just don't, just don't get out of control there. It's very addictive. It can be so easily get out of control that this is one area in this church and our denomination of fellowship that we are part of and that, we'll, that we are not condoning. And we'll talk about that later. But do you get the point that it's not the legalistic religion of keeping the rules that saves or damns the person. Rather, it's the effect that the action has on a person. Again, God's word doesn't say don't do certain things to keep us from enjoying the true pleasures of life. Young people, help me. When God says don't do something, what is he really saying? Don't hurt yourself. He's not keeping you from the fun things of life. He's keeping you from hurting yourself. So as, you look, as I look back over the many sermons I've taught and preached here in this church, I hope you can see that I focused on many areas of righteousness, areas that set us apart, that allow us to live as strangers and aliens in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against our soul. And as we understand our true purpose for being in this world, we're here for two basic reasons. Number one, we're here to have a fellowship with God, our Heavenly Father. He created us to worship Him and to honor Him. Basically, we are, we are a creation of His own likeness so that we can have a relationship with Him in this life and to all eternity. That's why He created us, to have a relationship with us. And number two, the other reason that we're here is to win others for him, to fulfill the great commission. And that was given in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus, at verse 18, when then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, 
we are called to go into the world and save and disciple, convert and disciple all people. And then he goes on to say that we are to teach them to obey. We can't teach someone something that we aren't doing. As part of the Great Commission, we are to win the lost and disciple them. And discipling means teaching. Teaching what? Teaching them to obey everything that we have commanded to do. How can we be effective in winning and discipling and teaching if we aren't set apart and living a life different than they? It's just, it makes too much sense here. Going back to the letter in 2009, just a few more areas. If there are areas that you struggle in, then it's time to bring them before God and get your life back in line. I know that we all have areas that we can do better in, so I'm not intending to place guilt where it isn't meant to be. But there are some areas that some may be falling into. Areas of pornography, promiscuity, pride, criticism, among others, and so forth. A form of narcissism, a case of thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. Pride is one of the most serious sins we can have. It is the root cause of almost every sin mankind is guilty of. It was pride for, for that, that Lucifer had that cast him out of heaven. And it will be the downfall of every man that harbors it. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. And then also in Romans chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. You can read that on your own when you get home today if you want to. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. We have a tendency to have a critical and judgmental spirit. We have been known to criticize what we don't understand and what we don't agree with. We criticize what we don't like in church. We criticize people that are different than us. And we criticize the things that make us uncomfortable and what we don't understand. Our kids cannot process what they see when we as parents put on a worship form on Sunday morning and then go home and see pride, arrogance, and a critical spirit displayed throughout the week. They cannot understand this other than to say that we are hypocrites and want nothing to do with this form of religion. Again, I ask, is it worth it? Pride and criticism keep us from having a teachable spirit. If we are critical of people in authority and what we don't agree with or understand, then we have a spirit that is unteachable. We need to have a humble, teachable spirit, one that listens and puts into action what we have learned, not one that rises up against us, against it because it's new or it's not the way we do it here. This is pride and needs to be dealt with. Again, uh, write this down, James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. I know I'm, I'm reading a lot. I don't want to keep reading too much. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. Go home and read that. talks about um, a man who looks in a mirror and then... Uh, and that, then he needs to uh, remember what he looked at, what he looked like when he got out, when he got away from that. And I know that this may seem very direct and hard with this teaching, but people, this is what the Lord placed on my heart three years ago, and it's been a consistent call ever since. And that we must understand that this letter was written and the call given to mature Christian people, ones that have grown up in this church or at least been in it for a number of years. This is the meat of God's word not milk. This is not a message to young Christians that are supposed to live on milk. Understand that. This is not a message and get for those people that have just been saved a few weeks. This is a message and a call to people that should know better. This is a call to a family and a church body that has been in this thing quite a while. This is the meat of God's word. This is not a message to young Christians Mature Christians should be able to handle meat without indigestion or heartburn. It should be taken as good instruction not to be offended over. And there is good news as well that I talked about. 
So let me go to the good news. The good thing in all of this is that no matter what it is that you may be dealing with, it's not too late to stop and make them right before God and your family. As long as you have breath, God can work it out for you. There's still time to seek God and his Holy Spirit to fill us and bring a revival in our spirits so that we can claim the generational and spiritual blessings that are ours to claim as we live holy lives. Once again, my purpose for writing this letter is not to bring judgment to any individual. It is written in love, grace, and mercy with much prayer that it will be received in a similar manner. I love every one of my family members of this family, and God is even more in love with everyone else, with everyone as well. His call, his mercy, and his blessing still resides with us, but it requires a commitment to honor him. We have been given the call. Now it's time to respond in a positive and teachable spirit to hear the word and put it into action. It's time that we purposely repent, worship, pray, and seek God while we have the opportunity. This family needs you and this church needs you to be the man and woman that God is calling you to be. The good news is that God is still with us and he's still, for, he's still for us. He's not against us. He wasn't then and he's not now. But the choice is always ours to accept the call or not. It's never the fault of the pastor or anyone else. God has given all of us free choice and the power to live in our choices. And I know that some are saying that the word I'm preaching is too hard and, ton, uh, and too unrealistic. But I don't believe it is. I believe that if we have a heart that is chasing after Jesus, he will give us the ability to live in victory and live a life that is uncompromisingly beautiful in his eyes. Psalm chapter 1, verse 51, verses 10 through, chapter 51, verses 10 through 13 says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach the transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. As God creates the pure heart in us, then we can live in obedience and we can have a steadfast spirit that is able to have the joy of knowing our salvation that we would have a willing spirit to be taught and sustained. And then we will not only be able to live in obedience to God's calling, but we will be able to teach the transgressors, teach those that are living in sin, so that they will turn to God. Some have saying that this word is so hard, nobody can live in this church. It's not true, people. It's not true. Read Psalm 51 again. Create in me a pure heart. God gives me a pure heart, I can live for Jesus. Verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. See, God loves a person that is a broken person, a person that has a contrite heart, that's easily teachable, yet strong with standards against the wiles of the enemy. That's what God wants of us. So to wrap this up, let me go back to what we started with. Larry, would you put slide back up one, please? That's my agenda. My agenda has been consistently to call us to a life living an uncompromised life of holiness. And what I find interesting that is that what I presented to this letter in this letter to my family three three years ago in 2009 that I have preached and led this church for an entire year until the fall of 2010, at which time I was voted in as a full-time pastor. 
with a vote of 100% approval. I was given a whole year. Everybody knew exactly where I stood. And since that time, I've continued down the same call of consistency. So if there is a division in this church, Larry, would you put up point number two, please? There is another agenda. It's called a compromising agenda. Again, the straight line does not create compromise. A straight line does not create confusion. The call of living according to our fundamental beliefs hasn't changed. And here we have a new direction that's being introduced to this line at about a 15-degree angle off course. What's causing the division? What's calling for the change? A straight line doesn't cause division. It's when a new direction is brought in that forces a division. So please hear my heart. My heart is not to gain anything personally in this other than to have Jesus tell me when I finally make it home. Well done, Mike. You did the best you could do. I'm proud of you. And I truly hope that's the desire of everyone in this room. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, we worship you. We are people. And in our humanness and in our peopleness, we make mistakes. And for that, we apologize. And we repent and we say we're sorry. So, Lord, I just pray for this church and I pray for the families represented in this church body today. I pray, Father, as consistently as I possibly can, that you would have your perfect will and that you would do and you would accomplish in this church what you meant it to be so many years ago. So many years ago, Father, you called this church to a particular plan, to a particular path. And Lord, I pray that you would keep us on that path and that you would complete the work that you started. It was a good work that you started back in the early 1900s. It was a good work when the Holy Spirit fell on those people in Azuzu Street and they were filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was a good work in 1947 when this church was established. And I pray, Lord, that you will keep us on that straight path until you return soon. That we do not allow ourselves to be compromised by the world, but we would have strength of character and strength of integrity and strength of knowing who you are in our lives, that we would stand in the world and not be influenced by the world, but we one more time would be the influencers of Charlevoix. One more time we would stand up and people would say, I like that because they're consistent people. They say what they mean and they believe it and they live it. Help us, Lord. If, if any of us have strayed from that, help us, Lord, to come back. Help us to be called back. Help our hearts to change. Lord, help us to go back on the straight and narrow path that you require of us. Because there we will find blessing. There we will find joy. There we will find peace of heart. There we will find peace of mind. There we, we, we know we will have eternal life forever and ever and ever, without question, without compromise. We thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen.